Ag State of Mind, episode 58. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Hello and welcome back to the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and today on the show, we are kicking off our feature on men's health for the month of November, and I couldn't think of anybody better to help me kick this off than my good buddy, Henry Roberts. He, Henry, Hank Henry, however you may know him, is is a, a blogger, a a retired firefighter, uh, just a, and just a really good friend of mine. Him and I had connected over social media through the podcast, and then we were fortunate enough to meet up a couple of months ago on Carrie and I's way home from our trip out west. We talk about kind of his background as a, as a firefighter, and then him moving on in his life, and how he was able to get his own help with mental health and become an advocate himself. And uh, he has a really great story and something that I'm really proud to be a part of his story and a part of his, his recovery. Um, it's, it's, I am just so happy to know him. So really excited for you guys to, to start with this month with us and to kind of pay attention to men's mental health. This is something that's really important to me and really something I feel like we need to not go, let go by the wayside. So here it, here it is with my interview with Hank Wade. All right, Henry Roberts, welcome to the Ag State of Mind podcast. How are you, friend? I am doing well, doing good. This is awesome. I'm it's I feel like it's a long time coming and as we're recording this, it's September 30th. It's International Podcast Day and I couldn't imagine anyone more appropriate than to celebrate International Podcast Day and the 1 year anniversary of this podcast with than you because you have been one of the greatest supporters if not the greatest supporter of the podcast and I am very grateful to you. Well, uh, I owe a lot to you and the podcast. Uh, I I personally don't feel I would be who I am today if it wasn't for finding your podcast and all that it's done for me mentally. And I've grown to become who I am because of the work that you do and many others as well. But uh, it, it really, I can't thank you enough. I mean, it gave me my life back, really. So. Man, that's awesome. You know, when I, when I start, and I love hearing you say that because like, first of all, it doesn't seem real to me that I could have that sort of effect on someone. But at the same time, it's like the whole justification for me behind me doing this is like, if I, and I said, when I started out, like if I can help one person, if I can change one person for the better, then I've, my mission is, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And I feel like mission accomplished, right? I mean, you know, who else can we help? So, I mean, it's like giving me, you know, there's days where I've wanted to, not wanted to quit. I've never wanted to quit, but some days where like, oh, it, it gets like, it gets kind of hard to do some of the remedial stuff with the podcast. But, you know, I think back to your story and I think back to the first time you sent me that message on Instagram and that keeps me going that like it keeps me from the the thought of slowing down or stopping or taking a break or anything like that it keeps that from happening because i want you know i feel like i i feel this 
maybe a little bit of responsibility, but at the same time of gratitude to you to not want to let you down. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, I'm thankful for that because it keeps me going. Yeah. And I, I totally get that because I have a blog that I do and they'll, I'll go a week without thinking of anything to write. I, you know, am I, maybe, am I doing the wrong thing? Am I doing the right thing? Uh, and then an idea will just pop in my head and I'll write about it or someone will reach out and say they read my stuff and it was inspirational to them. And, and yeah, it gives you just a little hope to keep going and keep moving forward. And, and you definitely have your highs and your lows, and but more highs than more lows. Sure. Yeah, right, right, exactly. So you and I, super familiar with one another, but let everybody know kind of your background. You know, you have an interesting background, I feel like, and one that's unique to a lot of people who normally come on the podcast. And I, for one, am so thankful that it reached someone outside of agriculture because that's really what I wanted to do. And uh, so just tell us your story a little bit about, you know, kind of how, you know, where you came to be and where you are now. And yeah, we'll just go from there. So I, uh, well, I was, I was born and raised in California, Northern California. My dad was a firefighter out there. And so from day one, from the time I was born, my whole life was the fire department, was raising around uh, out there at the age of 16, you could join the fire department. You could do everything except for there were some few restrictions. You couldn't go inside a burning building and you couldn't go on the big state wildfires like you see on the news, but everything else you got to do. And uh, we carried pagers. We could leave uh, high school if you had good enough grades. You got to leave in the middle of the day to go answer calls. It was a small rural community in Northern California, small fire department, about 40 members. So they needed all the help they can get. And so I did that. And then I left. And I got into junior college and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went off in the Air Force, got stationed here in Bellevue, Nebraska at the Offutt Air Force Base. And uh, worked with a guy who was a firefighter with the Bellevue Volunteer Fire Department, and we got to talk, and he said, yeah, I joined Bellevue. And, and back then in the 90s, they had some rules. You had to be in the area for so long before you could join. So I joined, and uh, I did that. And then in 2010, we went from being full volunteers to a paid part-time program where they paid us to staff the stations. So I worked Mondays, Wednesdays, and Friday nights, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Uh, we got to sleep if there weren't any calls so there was nights you'd be up, you'd be up all night and some nights you got to sleep 2013 rolls around i get diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and asthma and that puts an end to the firefighting uh, physically i couldn't do it mentally i wanted to go on so that kind of cast me into this dark cloud uh i i mean i was at 38 years old at that time so 38 years of my life all i knew and all my passion was was firefighting i had it wasn't my job that pays my bills but it's the one thing i cared about other than you know your typical your wife and your kids yada yada but it's what i lived for sure. and that was taken away from me and it was gone and now i'm just you know some guy that i go to work every day and i put food on the table and uh, it, it was very hard it took an emotional toll on me so i spent a couple of years just kind of lost I didn't know what to do i found woodworking and i got into i have a 10 by 12 shed in my backyard and I was doing some woodworking out there and I wanted something to listen to while I was doing the woodworking. And I, I don't do sports talks. I don't do politics or the news radio. So I stumbled across rural radio on XM satellite radio. And I, I knew a little bit about farming, but not much, you know, I'm a typical city kid. And I just kind of got drawn into learning about everything from the science of agricultural to 
uh, I just kind of, I just buried myself in learning about agriculture and I found it kind of took my mind off of not having a passion. It became my passion, learning about agriculture. And the more I learned about it, the more I liked it, the more people I met, it was just, it was really a good feeling. So I got asked by Rob Starkey to be on his XM show one day. And it was kind of that aha moment when he was talking. He said, you take my story, you remove the term firefighter, and you throw in the name farmer, and the story is the same. And that kind of made me realize, like, you know, this problem I was having mentally, I thought was just me. I had no idea other people felt this way. I thought I was, you know, that one in a million people that felt horrible. And I was afraid to tell anyone. I was embarrassed to tell anyone. I didn't know there was help available. So I struggled for so long. So then I, I heard, after being on his show, I learned about who Leslie Kelly was. And then I saw a social media podcast or post that Leslie was going to be on your show, the Actually in Mind podcast. Had never heard of your show. And it was pretty young. I think we were like what, eight episodes. In. It was brand new. And yeah, she was, I think Leslie was like 14 or something like that, but early, early, early. Yeah. On. So I thought, well, if Leslie Kelly is good enough to be on this podcast, it's gotta be a decent podcast. Right. So I check it out and I was just blown away. I mean, I was just digging every word that you and her talked about. And so I went back and played back a few of the other episodes. I believe I even messaged you like, Hey, you know, great job. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. So I get into listening to it. Uh, and then comes the day Mr. Jeff Ditzenberger was on the show. And that was probably my defining moment from there because I listened to his podcast and uh, he said, you know, at the end of the show, reach out to me at Facebook if you want. So I sent him a friend request. And of course he has to vet me. Right. So he uh, he says right. he sends me a message and says, you know, uh, are you lost? Are you are you want to sell cookies or something? What's your problem? And and so I told him, I said, I heard your story. I you know, really phenomenal. It really touched me. So then comes the part that scares me. His next message was, "Who's the 49er fan?" Not, oh man, I was like, here we go, <laughs> right? And I said, oh, I am. He was like, oh, cool. So am I, you know. And so he turns out we talk a little bit. He, we both have been volunteer firefighters. Both had been in the military. Both had been in California. We had so much in common. So kind of like that, you know, we hit it off thing. And uh, so I talked to him a little bit. And that night, I'm sitting in my chair reflecting on the conversation I had with him, and his vision of this kid came to me and his kid says uh thank you for caring for me now the significance of this kid was that when i was 17 years old we went to a rescue call down at the local laundromat it was for a six-year-old kid who was unresponsive and we get there and sure enough the kid was was not alive and we're doing cpr on him and this kid was six years old and he weighed 18 pounds uh his mom had been a heavy drug user during her pregnancy and the kid should have never really lived six years but he did so i do cpr on this kid mind you i'm 17 it's my third time i've ever seen a dead body at an early age and it didn't affect me as bad as that but my brother was also a firefighter he rode with the ambulance to the hospital he gets back from the hospital and says yeah the sheriff showed up and they confiscated the body there was burn marks on the chest the kid had been tortured by the mom they suspected kind of thing Oh, gosh. So this uh, kind of weighed heavy on me. And then as I got older and had my own kids and learned more about life, it always just was in the back of my mind. So after talking to Jeff, that vision of that kid saying, thank you for caring for me was this huge 
release off my chest that, you know, that the kid knew, even though he didn't mean that, in his dying moment, someone was there that did care for him. So it was a pretty emotional thing for me, but it was kind of just another aha moment. And so I mulled it over for a couple of days and thought, do I tell Jeff, you know, is he going to think I'm a weirdo or something? And so I messaged Jeff and I, and part of Jeff's message on your show was you have to tell your story. And if people judge you or don't like you, that's their problem. This is your past. It's what defines you. Uh, if they don't like it, not your problem, but tell your story because people need to hear it. And so I said, heck with it. I told him my story and he responded and was just, man, I believe, you know, in that kind of stuff, I, I totally understand. And so Jeff and I become good friends and then I just learned more. And that's kind of, I saw you had a blog and I thought blogging was just something women did only. I didn't know men do it. <laughs> and uh, so I actually what got me into the I felt I said that because I said the same thing to myself when I started. <laughs> I uh, actually went before that I met Bridget Riddell and she's been a great friend of mine. She is such a good mentor. She's just a most daring person. And uh, there was there was a website called uh, Ag Now Magazine. I think it was at one of those. And I asked Bridget because Bridget had a couple articles posted in there. And I said, how do you get in there? Are you a part of the member or the staff? She goes, no, anyone can write and submit it. And then they'll just put it in there. So I got a couple articles published and I like the feeling of writing was just phenomenal. So that's when I kind of thought, well, maybe I'm going to start my own website, my own blog. And I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how to build a website, how to design one. I just kind of jumped in and figured it out as I went. And, uh, and there was times where I wanted to cry and throw it away because I like, this is so frustrating. I don't know. And I just learned and I keep growing it and building it. And it's kind of how we got to where we are today. So. Man, incredible story. Like, and I, I know this story and like still like I'm going to unpack a few things here. How did you contact Rob? Like, cause like to, to me, Rob is like the ag podcast world's Joe Rogan. You know what I mean? Like he's like the, the like main one with podcast and ag. And like, he's kind of the one that kind of blazed the trail for a lot of us. And we all, I think really look up to him and feel a lot of inspiration comes from him. Um, but how did you get in contact? Like what, what, what moved you to reach out to him? Uh, actually he came to me. I mean, I had messaged him back and forth, just love the show, you know, kind of thing. And, that was about it. But he, it was a weird thing. It was, I woke up in the afternoon and there was a message from him, XM radio tomorrow, question mark. I thought, well, I know, does he want me to listen or something? I, I didn't know. And I, res I know I responded back like, sure. And he said, all right. You know, uh, I said, what time it was one 30 goes I'll, I'll call you. And so I don't know how he got my name. If someone said, Hey, check this guy out. Or if he just stumbled across, you know, something, I don't, I have no idea how that came to be uh, other than me just telling him, I mean, I, I, I told, I, and I think I'd messaged him kind of the same thing as you about how he, he had influenced me so much that he was helping me turn my life around by what he was doing. And uh, I think he was just kind of wanting, you know, we, we kind of discussed about same thing. I, I'm not a farmer. And the agricultural world, I kind of credited for giving me my life back. And so that's where I came to want to support the agricultural world because I want to give back to what they gave me. So, 
Very cool. Like, I mean, like I say, Rob's just so good about giving people, you know, sharing his platform with people and being just being such a like advocate to so many different things. Uh, I just, I, I just, I can't show enough respect for him and all he's done. Now, you shared this story with me about the dream. Is this something you felt like you repressed for a long time? Was it something that like was in the back of your mind? What what was your like is this something that this whole deal with this with this this young boy, you know, when you were just a boy yourself. I mean, you were 17. And I don't think I knew until now that you that's how old you were when this happened. So, I mean, that's that's pretty traumatic, right? I mean, and it's like, do you feel like yeah. that's something that's like you kept in the back of your mind? You didn't really address? I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze you here. I'm just trying to figure out or just trying to, I don't know. It just, it, it's, it's really fascinating to me. Well, I remember the first three deaths and I remember the last two deaths over a 23 mm -hmm. year span from the time I was basically 16 years old to 38 years old and I, I don't know why i remember those three and in the last two it's just all the others are kind of a blur but something really strange happened the other and i i do i think uh it's been maybe repressed or something when i was in the fire department we had some training uh, when they started kind of realizing firefighters needed mental health training and be an awareness there was a story about some firefighters over in iowa who had responded to a bad vehicle accident. And a lot of them started struggling really, really bad. And they didn't know why at first, why are these firefighters having a tough time with this one particular call? Well, they did some digging and it turned out like 10 years earlier, almost to the day, same corner, another horrible bad wreck had happened. And they think those firefighters had repressed that information all those years and this particular call drug it back out mm -hmm. and so I, I was thinking about that so last oh the other week i took that qpr training with jeff ditzenberger mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he asked me to can you tell your story at the end of this i said sure sure i can do that you know i love telling that and uh, so we start the training off, and the first part of the training is a 10-minute video, and it covers three people. It covers an old person, a young person, and someone with an addiction problem, and it shows how they lead up to being suicidal kind of deal. I start watching, and, and this day, watching this video, I'm happy. I'm feeling great physically, mentally, no problem. I start watching that video, and I start losing it. I start tearing up. Mm. Jeff can see me on the video, so he messages me on my phone, are you Okay. I said, yeah, I, I'm fine, but I didn't know what was happening. But my entire firefighting career flashed in front of my eyes because every single situation that I was in that video, I have been in, uh, whether it was in my personal life or calls we responded to where someone attempted suicide or was successful, and it seemed like it just drug out these memories I didn't even know I had, and it just made me really, really emotional. So the embarrassing part was after the training i go to try to tell my story and i get halfway through it and I, i'm still just wound up from this video and i just my, my tears are falling i couldn't speak i'm choking up and i'm pretty sure the other people in the video are looking at me like uh we didn't get that same thing did we miss something you know and so i messaged jeff i'm like i'm sorry man i fell apart but it really messed me up for a day that uh, I must have some deep-seated emotions that got drug out by that, that video or something. It was it was hard. So I think you're right. I think the repressed memories and talking to Jeff somehow just 
made that kid surface, uh, but it put my mind at ease. It put an end to it. It put it to rest mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I always worried about that kid. You know, I think what hit me the hardest was what was that kid's life for six years? If he was being tortured by his mother and burned, I mean, good Lord. <laughs> you know, right. Right. So, right. And, you know, maybe you were the first person who actually cared for him. You know what I mean? You, and, and, you know, you kind of kept that memory in the back of your head. You didn't really think about it a whole lot, but, but you, you, he, it was almost like it was your subconscious kind of coming back and telling you that, you know, it was okay that you did the right thing. I don't know. You know, I, I'm not a, I'm not a dream analysis expert or anything like that, but you know, that's. I, I tend to go for th for things that make the most sense. And that's kind of the way I feel about that. And I think a day after mulling over my head what happened, I think the takeaway was that I learned that as a firefighter, we would not save everyone. But as long as we always gave right. 100% effort and we did what we did we best we could, that that was our job was we're not going to save everyone, but always give your effort. And that's a lesson you can learn in life that – any job you have, if you give it a hundred percent, do the best you can, you're going to fail, but you know, get back right. up and, and keep moving forward. So, yeah, right. So something you said, you were talking about 2013 and that's when you were diagnosed with RA. That's when you were diagnosed with asthma and you realized that you could not continue being a firefighter at that point. I feel like, I mean, if I'm hearing this right, something you kind of wrapped your identity in. And I see a lot of, I mean, I think there's something in everyone's life where uh, my wife and I were just talking about this last night. Um, for her, it's being a nurse. It's never about been me being a pharmacist, but it has been about me being uh, a cattle rancher. Uh, yours was a firefighter. So many people have that one thing in their life that they kind of wrap their identity around and so whenever you lost that what was that like like what was I mean where like what kind of emotions did you have to deal with when you realized you couldn't do the thing that that really brought you joy it it was very emotional very hard because you doing the firefighting gave you uh, a give me a purpose in life you know and my kids would go to school and tell people tell their friends my dad's a firefighter after losing that you know my kids go to school, what's your dad do uh he does something with computers you know they had no idea what i did for a living they lost that pride in their dad you know my dad's a firefighter that that you know same thing uh, as the agricultural world my dad's a mm -hmm. farmer kids you know have pride and my dad drives a john deere or whatever and I just, I felt so, I guess I felt worthless. You know, I, I had no idea what's, I had no direction in life. What am I going to do now that I can affect other people's lives or help people? And I had no idea what I could do. Uh, and that's, it was just an emotional toll. Like I'm 38 years old. Is this just it for me? Am I going to live out the next several years of just going to work day to day and making a paycheck? I, I had no idea. And it killed me uh, to think that way. And that's why I kind of got into the woodworking. It was because I like making stuff for people and giving it to them as gifts because I knew it could make, it could bring someone some joy, something I did. 
And so it's kind of self-gratifying for me to give something to someone because I knew, okay, I, you know, for a few moments you would take your mind off the world and be thankful that someone did something for you. So it's really more for me to do that for you than it is for you to get a gift kind of thing. And so that started giving me hope and started giving me uh, direction in my life. But it, it was an emotional toll. I mean, it's all I knew. And yeah, and it's hard when you still see your old friends being firefighters. They're still talking about fires and you're kind of on the outside. You're no longer in that mm-hmm. circle. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, if you, if something happened today where you had to give up raising cattle and you're no longer a cattle producer, you're just a pharmacist. Not, not that that pharmacy is not a bad, you know, but if that's your identity and you had to give it up and you see all your cattle friends still talking about cattle stuff, you know, it, it yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard, you know, or if your wife had to give up being a nurse for whatever, she, she got something and she had to go just do whatever job, you know, kind of thing. That is just, it's hard to fathom that. And it's, that's what kind of Rob Sharkey hit on with, if you're a farmer and you lose your farm and you're a fourth generation farmer and that's gone, what do you do? I mean, your friends, they all talking about, well, got to go get the crop out of the field. And you're sitting there like, well, I don't have a crop to get out of the field. So it's, it's, uh, that's what kind of led me into wanting to advocate for the mental health in the agricultural world is saying this could happen to you. If it does, you need to get help and here's the help to get kind of thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's applicable across, across the board. I mean, we're just, you know, this podcast often just focuses on agriculture, but I mean, you are proof that it it can be whatever it can be. Everybody has that one thing. And what I have found out is I made a blog post a few years ago, or I'm sorry, not a few years ago. It's not even been a few years (laughs) since I've been doing this, but uh, last year sometime. And it talked about diversifying your identity. And I'll link it in the show notes because I feel like it was one of the most powerful blogs that I ever wrote. I don't write them as much anymore because I've been so busy with podcasting, but it helped me to like see that, yeah, raising cattle is a huge part of my life. I mean, I love it. I mean, it's the one thing that like really brings me, besides my wife and kids, of course, brings me the most joy in my life or has up until a certain point, but what if that what if that was all taken away someday and i kind of uh, alluded to and kind of compared it to putting investing money or uh you know having a retirement portfolio you don't put all of your money into one certain stock because what if that one certain stock f- falls apart well, you fall apart you're gone your money's gone and you know you're I mean, it's going to be really hard to rebuild from that. So when you diversify your identity, you put your identity into multiple different things, just like in the, just like in investment, you put it into stocks and bonds and mutual funds and real estate and whatever else, you know, I'm not a financial advisor. So those are the only really things I know, but you know, so for me it was, well, I'm a, I'm a pharmacist. I'm, I raise cattle. I am a husband, a father. I have a podcast now. I love to run and work out and I love to fish and I've taken up a little bit more serious into hunting now that I hadn't until my kids got involved in it. Uh, just So when you are able to kind of blossom out a little bit, 
you don't wrap so much of your identity into one facet of your life. And I think that's important for everyone to do is to become, you know, multifaceted, become multidimensional. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and that was kind of the thing with me was, you know, if a farmer loses their farm, that's their income, their way of life. For me, I, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I still had a job to go to. So I wasn't in fear of my kids not being able to eat or have a place to live. Sure. Uh, Sure. But yeah, it was the thing that was passionate. And I guess where I've kind of led to and learned over the last few months is that, you know, whether you lose your entire farm or you lose the one thing that you're passionate about or you lose what identifies you is the mental health part of it. The hurt and the pain is the same. And you, the mm-hmm. feelings, when you hear someone describe what happened when they lost their farm or when they lost their job, whatever it is, the words they use to describe that pain seems to be very, almost the same across the board. And it kind of got me thinking, like, it's not, it's not like because you lost your farm, your mental health is more severe than someone who just lost their passion. Because the end thing is that can lead you down the wrong path to where you might become suicidal. Each person handles it different. And the key is to get in there and help identify these people and and not just say, well, I'm not going to help you because your problem isn't as bad as that, guys. You know, we we need to address everyone's mental Mm, health, mm -hmm. you know, just and that's kind of where I've gotten into the big picture of things is that. You know, it's it's uh, I guess I, I have a struggle to find the words for how to describe it. But mental health is mental health. We all hurt the same once you're in that situation. And, you know, obviously with with farming, it it's a higher risk. But in the end goal, we all hurt. So. Right. No, you're absolutely right. It I mean, you're you, you are correct. And when you identify that when someone loses their farm, it's. It, it's more than just losing a business. It's losing a home, your income, uh, a lot of things. And, you know, that's that's a huge deal. But to the person who is hurting, no matter how someone else over here sees them hurting, to them, they feel like the world is coming on top of them. And the th- mental health, uh, stress, all of that is kind of personalized to each and every one of us and no one really totally understands except for the person who is going through it and I think and you you've hit on this before too we need to have equal amounts of empathy to no matter who it is right and that's something I've learned is it's not how you got there it's the fact is you're there now if someone's struggling Mm -hmm, mentally mm -hmm it's not my job to worry about how you got there. It's my job to help you get out of there. And whether you're, whether you're a farmer or whatever your pharmacist, if you give uh, bad medicine to someone, you know, and you're struggling, my job is to get you back to safety. Kind of like Jeff's whole tugs theory. You know, Mm. you might be a great big ship. You might be the best cattle producer there is, but you get to struggling. You need that tugboat to pull you back to safety. And that's what I want my future to be is the guy that can come help bring you back to safety. I'm not a counselor. You know, I, I have no idea what to do, but I want to learn enough that I can get you back to get you to make the call to a professional. 
or, or help you help. I just want to help provide hope that it's not the end of the world. It feels like it's the end of the world because I've been there. It feels like there's no hope, but I want to be someone that can just give you a shred of hope or dignity to say it's okay. You know, what you're feeling is normal and we're going to get through this together and be there for you. Yeah, totally agree, man. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about Jeff's QPR course, what QPR is. And because I think it's, we've had a few people, on. I mean, obviously Jeff has talked about it before. I know Kate, Kate Whittakin was talking, has talked about it before on the podcast, but what is, what is QPR and what did you gain from taking that course? So QPR is question, persuade, and refer. It's basically QPR is for your mind, what CPR is for your heart. It's basically teaches you how to deal with people that are more on the suicidal end of the mental health spectrum. Kind of teaches you, there's three parts of it. Question someone, you know, Jason, are you okay? Are you, you know, do you need some help? Do we need to talk? Question you, which is the hardest part for most people to do because I don't really want to stick my nose. We need to get beyond that. We need to start asking people, are you okay? Because I noticed you're not acting the same as you did last week. You know, you were happy and now you're, you're distant. Something's wrong. Tell me what's wrong. And then persuade them and talk them into, can I, you know, can I encourage you to call this doctor or see a doctor or get some help? And then if they do refer them off to it. So it's, that's kind of the, the whole premise of the QPR training is just, just take someone in that dark hole and guide them back to the light, bring them back to getting them some help. And it's, I, I personally feel that this is some kind of training that should be, you know, and I don't know if I've been a blog about this or I was going to, but many companies offered CPR training to their employees over all the years because you have a coworker that goes down from a heart attack, you know, the sooner you get someone there doing CPR on a person, the chances of them living go up drastically. And then came along the AED, the automatic defibrillator, where companies started buying those and selecting a handful of people to be trained on it. So someone goes down, you slap that AED on them, you can save a life, you know, wait, instead of waiting for the fire department to show up. I feel I would like to see businesses move towards whole, and the class is an hour and a half, you know, training employees how to recognize uh, the awareness you know, of, of dangers of someone struggling and then how to get them through that to get them to help kind of thing. Uh, I'd like to see a company, you know, companies have rooms where women can go do lactation stuff for uh, moms that just had babies. Why can't they set a room aside for, I can come grab you and say, Hey man, let's go over here and have a talk. Uh, you know, is everything all right? And we could, you need to do it in private kind of deal. And so that, that's kind of what they, they call it gate gatekeeper uh, training is what it really is. But so that's the whole gist of it. I got a lot out of the class. I mean, there's just Jeff is a phenomenal instructor. He does a great job teaching it. So if you ever have a chance to take it or it's offered, you need to jump on it because it's good stuff. So what I'll do, I, I need to, does he have any upcoming that you know of or anything? Uh, this will probably be released in, I'm not sure when this will be released, probably in November because I'm going to try and do this as a part of men's health month. But does he have, I guess, has it linked on his website, on the Tugs website? 
you would probably have to reach out to him and ask him on Facebook because the class I okay. took was actually through the state of Wisconsin. Uh, the Agricultural Department of Wisconsin put oh, on okay. X number of classes and they had Jeff teaching it. And Jeff reached out to me and said, hey, you know, this is a good opportunity. They didn't charge anything. It was free. They paid for the whole deal. And it was two hours of my time and it was well worth it. Uh, there will be others probably coming up. Originally, this class had to be taught in person. And then with the COVID deal, they lightened up and said, okay, well, we can allow some online training of this event because we want to get the information out to people and we're not going to hold people back just because we can't meet in person. So I, I would reach out to him, see if he either has more classes he's going to do or if he can point you in the direction of us more. Yeah. Oh, man. It's just he's Jeff's just a great guy. And like I, I am so fortunate to have had him in my life because it's so funny how these things like kind of just kind of snowball. Uh, I, I reached out to I think the guest five was uh, Randy Roker. Well, Randy told me about Jeff and then all the opportunities that have come from Jeff and the people I've met through Jeff. It's just amazing. Like I love this community that's building around mental health in not just in ag, but in, in kind of the rural areas uh, it, because you're right. It needs to be something that we need to take as serious as CPR training. Why would, you know, we have people who are trained in CPR. We have people who are trained to use an AED. Why do we not treat mental health the same? And I, and I know there's been a lot of stigma around it. And, you know, that's what we're trying to do is trying to break it. But I mean, if you really think about it, if you look at the stats of mental health, mental illness, of suicides and opioid uh, drug overdoses in the rural areas. I mean, it's obviously uh, an epidemic. It's obviously something that is affecting people who we call neighbors. And we need to take it seriously. We need to do something. And I feel like companies assigning people to do those things like you talked about, like becoming certified in QPR, becoming certified in mental health first aid and all these things, because there are all these programs and that we just, they need to be kind of talked about more and people need to chat about them more and they, people need to become more aware of them because they're great. And the, again, they're not, it's like you said, you're not a therapist, you're not trying to be a therapist, but you are trying to, and we've talked about this before, you're trying to ice the knee before they go to have surgery on it. I mean, if you want to, if you want an analogy to like a physical ailment, I mean, that's what, that's what these QPR classes are letting you do. This is what the mental health first aid is getting to do is trying to get someone well enough so they can go to the next person, so they can go to the professional, so they can seek even better help somewhere else. But, you know, those better people aren't, as, as we know, they aren't, they aren't readily available and people sure don't don't like to go to them. But if you can go to someone who they trust and who is well equipped to to go on the first front line, then I mean, that's a that's a huge step in the battle. Uh, one of the stories that really hit me pretty close recently when you uh, it was Nathan Brown and listening to Nathan mm -hmm. Brown talking, Nathan. Nathan, great. Yeah, I, I mean, he's from Ohio, but you know right everyone, right i mean yeah <laughs> no not, not everybody's perfect you're right right but 
uh, his story about the neighbor that called him up and said, you know, I need you to come help, help me with some animals or some chores. And Nathan knew something wasn't right, <clears throat> that that he he wasn't calling just for that. And, you know, Nathan told a story about sitting there and just listening to the guy. And then the next morning, getting the phone call. Hey, man, I've made the decision. I'm going to call and get a doctor's appointment or, or get some stuff figured out. You know, and that's all it took. Nathan, just to listen to a guy and encourage he basically Nathan is the prime example of QPR he identified a problem tell me what's going on got the guy to talk about it encouraged him to get help and the guy got help and he probably saved a life you know that's what it's all about yeah yeah you never know like and you never know what it takes like you never know if what that I mean some say someone like that is not really comfortable with asking for help with something you know with stress with whatever kind of things they've got going on mentally but they are they are comfortable enough to ask you to come over and help with some hogs or you know whatever that may be to someone else so recognize that be be mindful of when someone asks you for help they may be asking you for a little bit more than what they're at what they're leading on because it's uh, it's it's people are people aren't always super comfortable just coming out and saying it so just pay attention yeah and that's you know i try to uh like quentin and you and a few of my close friends if i don't see you guys posting on social media in a couple of days i try to reach out like are you okay and i know you're just yes. you know <laughs> yeah you are i love it <laughs> you know I, I love that about you man because yeah I, and i you did it was just i, I think a couple of weeks uh, last week it was you reached out to me and hey man you good yeah all good i was i just had a busy and it was it's funny because i was talking to Kara's like you know i haven't posted on social media in several days and i i just didn't have much of anything to really share at that point. And, um, it was just, it was just, it was just peculiar and, and good timing. I felt like when you reached out to me. Yeah. It's you, because with mental health, so many, I mean, myself kind of two things, a, I was embarrassed. I didn't want to say anything, but two, no, uh, you know, who do you reach out to? And when I started down this path of putting my story out there, I, yeah, I kind of thought, man, am I going to get people to look at me weird or maybe look down on me because, oh, you're just a weirdo? But reflecting back on what Jeff said, I was like, you know, I want people to know that I'm someone that can help them, that there is help, and here's where you go. If you need it, great. If you don't need it, at least you know. You know, it's kind of like everyone knows mm – -hmm. Right. You don't. Some people will never call nine one one in their life. Maybe they're just fortunate to never have something bad happen. But you know, if I something happens, I have to call nine one one. You know, that's how you get help. We need the same thing for the mental health world. We need to know, man. I I'm not feeling right, and you need to know where to go and who to call or who to get help from. That's the goal that we need to get to. Totally agree, man. Well. I did I get you out the the real question is before we wrap up here did I keep you long enough to where you don't have to cook dinner tonight uh, I don't I believe so I'm down in the basement right now and she's upstairs uh, and I set all the food out for her and gave her instructions it's spaghetti it's heat some noodles throw some sauce there uh, I'm sure when this podcast is done I'll be washing all the dishes and cleaning up the mess but uh, she she was 
She does. My <laughs> wife does CrossFit, and uh, when she comes home, she's kind of hangry. She's she's just burnt, you know, I don't know, ten thousand calories or whatever they burn right. doing CrossFit, and if she's ready to eat. She's ready to eat, boy. So uh, I told her I gave her a heads up. I said you're probably gonna have to make the kids dinner. So we'll we'll see how it goes. But uh, luckily, I have to work. I have to work. I work Let's nights. I work at All 11 right. o'clock tonight. Tonight's my Friday. So uh, if she's mad, I'm not worried. I go to work anyway. So. <laughs> well, great, man. Well, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of plug your plug your website, plug plug your blog, and because man, you just you you write so well, and I, you should be commended for that. Because you know, I know it's not. I mean, from personal experience, I know it's not easy to write your thoughts down and put them out there for the world to see. So when somebody does it, I, I for real know what that's like. And uh, I, I appreciate what you do because getting, and I'll say this to you, reading your blog makes me not feel as bad about not writing on mine because you're doing that work. You're putting it in written form. And like, I, I appreciate that because it's, uh, I feel like it maybe lightens my burden a little bit. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I try to do two things with that blog. I, I kind of want to go and educate people on the mental health and the awareness of it. But the other half is I really want kind of when I started on this path, I wanted to do two things. I wanted to help people with mental health, but I also want to help connect the non farmer world with the farmer world. Uh, because if you watch social media, that's the big thing about all the videos the farmers put out is trying to get non-farmers to see what they do. They're not destroying the earth. They're not, you know, harming animals. And so I thought I wanted to try to be that inner piece, that middle piece to get a hold of, explain maybe in layman's terms. Because agriculture people sometimes when they, they forget that their viewers are not going to understand some of the terms. Yeah, we have our own language. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I fortunately have friends like you and Bridget and Jeff that if I don't understand something, I say, hey, what does this mean? What is this term? And then I can try to relay that to non-farmer people. So that's what the, I wanted the website to be kind of two halves, educating people on the agriculture world and then educating people on the mental health aspect of it. So one word, hankwade.com, and it goes to a website. And then in there, there's just links that you can click on and read the blogs or link over in there is a uh, says contact that has all the links to my Facebook, my Instagram, uh, Twitter, the Instagram people can follow me. I have it locked down just because I feel like if I don't, I get so many weird, weird bots following me that I, you know, trying to weed them out. So don't hesitate. Don't think I'm trying to be yeah. private. I know. Yeah. So please. Yeah. Welcome to the know, world of internet blogging. Yeah. So I don't, don't like that. If you want to follow goes, me on Instagram, man. great. Just send me a request. I just usually make sure it's not some weird robot trying to sell me Bitcoin or something like that. And uh, same thing on Facebook. Uh, and some of that stems from my job in the military. They really kind of encourage us to lock some of that down because it just, you make yourself a target in your family for some of the jobs that we do in the, in the military. So uh, so that's just a bit of a bit of security I do, but I, right. I don't, you know, I'm not trying to hide anything. Sure. But Twitter is usually sure. where I spend most of my time is on that. Right. Right. I think uh, I was looking through the, you were on the United We Ag podcast with uh, Derek and 
uh, he described you as like the the purse, like the 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 consumer we all dream of, like the one who's wants to know what's going on on a farm, on a ranch, and wants to relay it to people on the other side. And I mean, that's super valuable because you know we can sit and tell our story all day long, and if somebody doesn't want to hear it from the from us, they're not going to. But you bring a different perspective and you are outside of it, but you know enough people inside of it to get kind of that inside knowledge and relay it back to them in their own terms. And man, that's awesome. Like it, it takes a lot of the front work out of it for, for people who are, are involved in it. Like you said, like me, Jeff and Bridget, and uh, it's awesome. It's super awesome. It, I kind of identified three categories of the social media there's the farmer to farmer contact where you're posting uh, stuff about your animals and someone else wants to see how you feed your cattle, you know, kind of thing. The second part is the part like me where I'm not a farmer, but I'm actively seeking out information on the agricultural world to properly educate myself. But then the third part of it, the most hard part is how do you attract someone like my wife or kids to watch your content so that they can learn because they're not, mm. My kids are like, you know, dad, why don't you just go to the grocery store and buy your food like everyone else does? Why do you have to be bothering these farmers? You know, why? why you? So how do we reach that crowd is going to be the toughest thing that agriculture media mm -hmm. is going to have to face mm -hmm. as, as that. And then obviously, you know, the PETA people and the ag activists, uh, which I, I, I've been reading the, the Sacred Cow book. I watched her video because I had a link to it. I bought the book early, so I was, uh, got the link. And I really is kind of interested in that theory because they're doing a good job explaining how the cows and are good for a pasture, you know, uh, just like the buff mm -hmm. buffalo did in the grasslands and so forth. And it's kind of neat because I'm seeing it seems like you're starting to draw more vegetarians and more vegans over understanding that I'm still not going to eat meat. But I appreciate you trying to regenerate the land and be responsible and sustainable and them not hate meat lovers as much because, all right, you're doing it respectfully, right. you know. Sure. And so sure. I, I – Yeah, like it, we're not out here – not, we're not here out here necessarily change anybody's mind, um, but we would like to be respected and understood. And, sure. you know, I, I and it goes both ways for sure. Like and that's what we need in this world in general is is a lot more of just we used to say, you know, we agree to disagree or, you know, we just we got along with people. And but there's just so much increased tribalism anymore where it just doesn't happen as much. And I, I would like to see the world return to that. And. That's a good way to do it is by telling honest stories and realizing that you have a lot more common ground with someone than you might expect. I don't know if you follow, uh, see if I can sh uh, show you this here, but our friend Marky, it says, I only eat and then uh, mm -hmm. real, real beef or real meat. Uh, okay. The U.S. Cattlemen's uh, Association. I don't think I've seen that. Yeah. So Marky. So you got that from Marky? Yeah, she well, she it's her design. Uh, she designed it, and the Cattlemen's Association took her design and put it on her shirt. She posted on Facebook, oh. and so you can uh, go to the U.S. Cattlemen Association webpage and buy the shirt. And it's my new lucky shirt. So, but anyways, yeah, it's it's a great, it's a comfortable it. shirt. Cool. It's actually a very high quality shirt. So I, you know, you buy some shirts online, and they're kind of yeah, but 
it's a very, uh-huh. very good shirt. So I wear it proudly. So. so that's funny because I bought a shirt from Marissa Hake, you know, calf vet. And I, I just messaged her. I bought a sweatshirt from her and I was like, this is like my new go-to because it's like, it was so cut. Like it's hard finding sweatshirts that I really, really like. And like, this one is one of those. I'm like, this is my new go-to. I love it. I, I had it on, but it's too hot in the house to wear it right now. So, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's just, it's funny. Like we, we, we both have that right now. So, well, very good. Well, man, I, I really appreciate you here tonight. This is one of the easiest podcasts I've ever done because like, it's not the first time we've talked, you know, you're one of the, <laughs> You're one of the few where I've actually sat down and you're the only one besides Carrie Portell that I've actually sat down in their house and uh, gotten to know them on a, on a more personal level. So uh, it was re- it was like I said, this was like one of the easiest podcasts I've ever had to do. And your wife's pickles should be there tomorrow, according awesome. to the U.S. The post office. I. I felt so bad you guys drove off and about five minutes later I thought, oh, I forgot to give her a jar of pickles and so <laughs> I had some more so I mailed them off to her. So she should have some pickles. Appreciate coming. it. Well she is very excited. She's very excited for that. So very cool. Now I'm just nervous and very anxious because so I don't want it to be a bad pickle. So Oh, it'll be good. I'm sure it'll be good. <laughs> All right, partner. Well, thanks a bunch. Keep it up, man. This was really fun. Yes, thanks for having me. We'll do it again, I'm sure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.